this continuous transformation that is a, a necessity in order to really understand yoga as I see it is um, it's guaranteed by that continuous learning and as yoga is somehow the essence and the teachings of life can always be nuanced and can always be new aspects to it we must realize that we are we're not at all alone in this we are it's a great tradition the even if we may be surrounded in an environment today where um, there's a kind of hostility or or disinterest to many of these questions yeah. we are in very good company in a historic perspective mm-hmm. For centuries, this was obviously the only questions of interest. <laughs> Who am I? What is God? How do I make a purpose in life? How do I serve this creation? All the people who have written these scriptures, it's also not theirs. They are, they are just like you. You may be the one who writes the next scripture. Maybe this podcast will be that. My name is Innocent Mugenga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. An exploration of how society interacts with technology and you. We are here at the beautiful uh, Ferios in Kungsbacka, uh, just outside of uh, Gothenburg. And uh, we are at uh, Ferios Yoga Retreat, where I've been uh, spending a full week participating in a yoga retreat. And during this weekend that just passed, it's Sunday today, we completed a two-day silent retreat, which was really an opening experience. I haven't done anything similar, and uh, there was a lot of lessons i believe to take with me and i will definitely aim to take the silence with me going home to stockholm again tell us a little bit about ferios and and this retreat and how it came about sure so i was 40 years old i had left sweden when i was in my early 20s and uh, worked around europe different areas of life and the last 10-15 years I assisted in different project buildings of uh, spiritual nature and of artistic natures and I felt there was a need to bring everything to one place with the support of my my spiritual teachers and the community around me I opened up Farios as a modern monastery that's the term I would like to use as a monastery for me, I myself has visited monasteries, spent a lot of time in Orthodox monasteries, because there's a place of where worship of the sacred within us comes together with cultivation of knowledge, cultivation of, of nature, and cultivation of society, our social issues. So these four cornerstones of the monastery, which is the spiritual path development, the health issue, which we also cultivate here with holistic health and herbal medicine and along with the artistic perspective and the creativity and human rights and a societal engagement all came together. And I was very fortunate to have access to or to gain access to this place in a very beautiful surroundings. Very beautiful. It is. And it's like you you when we look out over the ocean here, we look into a nature reserve that stretches but on the south side of it, we have a quite populated area, Valda, and to the north we have Sare, which is kind of the southern suburbs of Gothenburg. So we are surrounded by yeah, the civilization that pushes on. But right here, we're actually in between two nature reserves mm-hmm. and with the mountain behind us, the ocean in front. So the, the universe gave very auspicious possibilities. At yeah. the same time, as, as me myself felt the need to... Uh, to I don't know to to build 
something to, to build a core, to build a, to manifest a heart in the physical from where the different tangents from where my life has developed the last 20 years since I left Sweden could come together to a whole. So how many years ago did that manifest in, in this? Five years. Five years ago. Five years. And it's funny because it's like you, it feels like a beginning all the time. Like you were with us here when we, we were still constructing things, building things. We were pulling these heavy stones and things that you think are things from the beginning. But here's a continuous beginning. It's always new projects, new things to, to develop. And I really love that we have done, like you said, everything from gardening and, and planting to lifting really heavy rocks and building, I don't know, what would we call it? <laughs> we built something with really heavy rocks. With really heavy rocks. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm, and that machine, the Stubebryta, yeah. this uh, 19th century machine that mechanically pulls tons out of the air. Really beautiful. I really look forward to coming back and, and seeing it, it continue the development. I think like... If, if you would talk about a yoga retreat or just a retreat, you would see a nice building. It's uh, the selling pictures and everything sure. is there. But here yeah. it's really growing. It is. And for me, the spiritual path is a path. It's, it's, uh, it's something that is a process. And um, from the beginning, it was very clear to me that this should not be like a place where people come. You buy your ticket to a certain experience and you bring that with you home. Mm -hmm. But a place for people to go that. That's also why we have limited spaces. Like now we've been 12 for the weekend here and that's kind of the maximum we want to keep. Only at rare occasions we go up to more guests so that everyone actually get a feeling of how it is to live in this way. And also that everyone gets to have uh, a true relations with each other and with nature. Mm -hmm. And also we... We uh, now in the silence retreat, we do do all the cooking and so on for the guests. But usually all these things are done communally and together as a part of, uh, of the retreat. Mm -hmm. I've got a um, bigger relationship to, to nature. Yeah. Um, I live in the city and the nature part of me has been removed. So here I was looking for... Uh, herbs in the garden. I became friends with the sheep that yeah. you have down there. I went down myself during the silent retreat. I saw you yeah. from the window here. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, great. I just came, came to think of them. that for the, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's uh, wonderful. I really love that because it shows that you came here and you applied. You got opportunity to in action, learn something, do something, uh, what to say to um, assimilate some knowledge. Because you didn't know sheep before. And then yesterday I saw you coming here with a wheelbarrow and mm. water going mm. down. Because I was a little, okay, I need to do that also. And I thought, well, great. Eldred was really happy. <laughs> and I was really nervous when I went down there. Because the day before, yeah. I, no, two days before was the first time I was that close to sheep. Now I went by myself. Actually, I made a mistake. I put both of the, the, the cans of water inside before going in. And the sheep came <laughs> running and knocked one over. So they got half of one. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, all in all, they got water. They were happy. Yeah. We cuddled a little, little bit. Yeah. Sure. So it oh, was a lovely great. experience. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is enriching. I think we need to come back to actually embody the knowledge that we have. Because we are so full of bookly knowledge. that so it's not even bookly knowledge, but Facebook knowledge and very fast. And we need to somehow embody the knowledge for it to become true to us. Mm -hmm. And that is why I feel so privileged to... To be here, like you also notice that now all the guests from the weekend left, it became a pause and then other guests come. And it's like a continuous flux of movement and different kinds of teaching. And in that way, I'm also continuously learning here, continuously needing to be uh, adaptable to the situations. And uh, it's a privilege. It's really a privilege to be here. You did a really great job in in guiding us through the silent retreat by the way and all the week actually you have a lot of knowledge and um, i want to take it all the way back to where this start where you got into this journey and maybe you can give us a little bit of, of your path leading up till today yeah sure uh you know when 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 being 45 like me i'm you're definitely younger than yeah, me 27 today 27. so at a certain time, I think many of us come to see that things seem to have been very natural in its, in its development, you know? 
like Kierkegaard says, that it makes sense when you look backwards. So for me, I mean, when I was, let's start like this. When I was, when I was really young, I was, I spent a lot of time in nature. I spent a lot of time with myself. I was reading a lot. And, um, I mean, this was before films. This was before you, there were books. And, um, there was somehow this, this feeling that there is a richness to life that very few speak about. And actually in my family, there was not a lot of talk about that. My, my father was a teacher, my mother's an artist. And, uh, somehow this religion was mocked and spirituality was not a part of it. Sacred was also not a, a topic. I mean, we, they did bring us to experiences where we were touched. Like it was a strong family connection with grandparents and cousins on both sides. This love within the family, there was art. Um, there was many occasions to be touched, but there was no language further than that. So growing up, I, I was um, kind of seeing where would that knowledge be? And I, I started out as many young to have a, a self-shouldered artist hood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was writing, painting uh, like that. And at the same time, I was very much attracted to the academic world because I thought there would be the knowledge logic uh, step they must be the wise guys yeah where else so i studied as was quite popular at that time with um, different topics i was uh, especially focusing on history of philosophy and um, i loved it i enjoyed it so much the years at university but somewhere along the path there i came to feel that <laughs> This is also not really reaching all the way. This is a knowledge of people who also there's a kind of, that you shouldn't apply what you learn. You shouldn't live it. You should just study it. It actually becomes like a more accurate knowledge if you're not that involved in it. So you separate yourself from the knowledge or? Uh, not from the knowledge, but the phenomena that you study mm. is kind of like a criteria for being academically correct. And even today at, for example, Studies of religion is like you are considered less credible if you have a relationship to God, if you have a personal God relationship. It's the same as saying you would be less credible as a musician theorist if you know how to play the piano, which is quite absurd. Well, anyway, I, I, I ended up wanting to write a thesis in um, history of philosophy that for that I needed to study Russian because I wanted to study a phenomenon within Russian art and uh, philosophy and that led me to study Russian. I went to Copenhagen where I had a girlfriend and I could study Russian as well there. I should have gone to Russia, of course, to study Russian, yeah. but I didn't have a girlfriend in Russia. So. <laughs> <laughs> made sense to go it to Copenhagen. Sense, yeah. How old were you by, by this time? Uh, that was, uh, I was 22. 22. I started off uh, studying immediately after gymnasium. And the study somehow I went back to actually, because a thesis would be about a zero point of knowledge where the language collapses and you actually have to trust the feeling. And I thought, I felt I could see this both in the Russian avant-garde art and in the Slavophilic philosophy, which are usually said, and these are just strange terms, right? But they're one very conservative and one very radical aspect of culture that both rely heavily on a point of uh, consensus beyond the concept, what they call the the language, the transrational language. And this uh, fascinated me greatly. And um, so I, I started to spend more time in Russia and in Ukraine. And in order to do that, started again to pick up more of writing and um, photography and we're writing articles to sustain myself. And also as a way to, to be there in a meaningful way. And this led me further to, uh, to come back to a more um, art, art perspective on life. And within a few years, this led me to, um, to the Danish film school, the Danish national film school, where I was for four years, yeah. one of the students of, uh, documentary directing there. Would you say you switched into film or you naturally transitioned into film school? I would say that, uh, it was like, 
I found that the in order to write the thesis that I re, that I longed to do within academics, I realized that the academic language was not a proper one, but that I needed the same. I I couldn't stay outside and study these artistic movements. I needed to embody them if I wanted to understand them. Film became at that time, uh, I had accustomed myself to the language of film and loved it and felt it very rich and free. And, um, no, you know, it was actually like the transition to the film school was because one of the students at the film school asked me to be participant in one of her films. Okay. Yeah. That's how it was. That's how I got to know the school. And, uh, and that was an interesting experience Mm. to be uh, a character in a documentary as it was. And then I met the teacher of the documentary uh, direction at Arne Bro. And he fascinated me so greatly with his perspective on life mm. and art and knowledge. Um, so he used the term tiradelega, someone who puts things in order for the director of documentary. Oh, yeah. And I love that term. It caught me and said, well, that's what I want to be. I want to be that person who puts things in place so they make uh, sense all the way and to provide an experience that touch people profoundly deep in their soul. So basically guiding the story of the documentary? Yes. Would yes. you say? Yes. And directing through ordering things. I mean, this is basic. It's not that, but he was such a, a strong character in promoting a whole new, for me, perspective on what film is and what storytelling is and actually what it is to be human, what it is to be a brother and sister to each other and how this is a continuous and collective work. He saw filmmaking as uh, research, as continuous research. And art must be research. It's not something that you hang on the wall. It must be something that brings you through the wall. And um, so actually he was the person who led me to apply for a film school. And, um, and then also, the, because in order to get in there, there's a lot of tests. At that time, it was quite difficult to get in. So during that testing period, which went on for a longer period, I got more and more. I love this more and more. For mm. every challenge we got, I felt, well, this is what I want. Mm. This is really what I love. So it was like a natural transition. Transition, yeah. somehow. You yes. were introduced and yeah. fell in yes. love. And I, I think I felt that I could do my, the, what I wanted to do as an academic thesis mm. within the history of philosophy, I could do better there in that language to describe a thesis yes to describe this collapse of language Mm. where we need to go into the transrational in order to describe reality more profoundly or more accurately did you get the opportunity to do this uh, through film or once you got in did you start doing other projects uh no for sure Mm. for sure Mm. i mean um the education at the film school is very very rich. It's all the time experiences. You do project after project after project. There's no, just like as in yoga, there is no theory that is not applicable uh, practically. And that was going through all the experiences we had there that it needs to be practically experienced and researched. I had some marvelous four years Mm. there. And, um, and, and during that period, I also got in contact with yoga. Or actually before I entered, I, I started yoga 96 and entered the film school 99. How were you introduced to yoga, by the way? Well, that was a girlfriend yeah. as well. And, uh, you know, you have a girlfriend who says, you want to go to Tantra course? You can't really say no, because no. that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. 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 There's, there's no proper answer because yeah. I, of course, I didn't consider any need to go to a tantra course. Yeah. I mean, like most men, we <laughs> consider ourselves super men having nothing to learn on that front regarding eroticism. But, um, yeah, so I, I went along and the tantra course didn't impress me that much. But at the same time, it was offered to practice hatha yoga in the same school. Mm. And that, touched me deeply. It, it really impressed me because these simple exercises reminded me of 
things that I had played with as a child, with the sensation that happens when you, you know when you stand on your head or or, or uh, make uh, kulabitas or whatever, and, mm. and you know, and I could remember I'd been playing as a kid. What happens if I try to fall asleep with my arms balanced upwards? You know, and I could see when my dreams are actually altered by how I fall asleep, what position I have, and so all this came back to me, and uh, it was like when then. Not only does this make sense, but actually previous experience also makes sense. So I, I continued um, with a very traditional Hatha yoga asana practice at the same time as then diving into uh, the art of filmmaking. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great period. And those four years where I also became a father and, and it was... Uh, Something like a, a a dream of how life. It was very close to my dream of yeah. a life. Yeah. A wonderful. We didn't get married, but uh, woman, yeah. wife to be someone and, and a beautiful child and beautiful place to live. We did the educations we wanted. Great Sounds social like life. A period of growth. It was a period of growth. Yeah. Indeed, and. Uh, Somehow it had an abrupt end for me uh, as a relation broke. Mm. And, uh, and I was in a way personally devastated by that. And uh, in that moment, I, I remember that, I, that previously, in the beginning of this relationship with uh, the mother of my son, I had made a kind of a vow to myself that this is perfect this is the perfect woman mm. and if this doesn't work out then I'll become a tantric monk because then nothing can work out mm. so I kind of gave myself like a, a, and then I, I didn't remember it during the relationship but in the breaking up I said and I better do that so I I switched and finishing film school I took half a year off I didn't do any film work. Okay. I directed some street performances, some circus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went fully into, because I had it, I went fully into living a yogic lifestyle, quitting uh, all meat, alcohol, coffee. Still in Copenhagen? Still in Copenhagen, yes. And um, so I'll try that. I'll try that. And that's what I'm still doing. <laughs> from that I'll try it out yeah till today yeah I'm, I'm I'm still trying it out and it works uh, really good it uh, continues to give me new positive challenges because you know now it's, it's 20 years is since I started so some 15 years since that decision and still like now like you see it's it's new every day is new I I have to re-understand what that to, to embody that knowledge means in every situation and uh, I'm, I'm really happy for that when did you start I don't remember the name uh, the school the international yeah International Federation of Yoga and Meditation Atman is the international name of that's it. right long name yeah <laughs> and here we call it the Yoga Association of Gothenburg to have it very Thank generic you. and instrumental <laughs> <laughs> so we know what we are yeah. <laughs> when did you start there or when did you start any form of formal uh, studies into 96 96 yeah. and uh, since then h- how does that work tell me a little bit more because I'm myself um, quite intrigued and like you said, how you can connect, you connected the, the yoga to how you moved as a kid. Yep. Uh, I connect a lot of the, the teachings that we've got from you here to other information mm. that I've read. So mm. I'm interested in, in this. Um, yeah, basically yoga school. would, would uh, be described as, you know, the knowledge that is within us and then rather to release that, to make it clear to us. Mm. And the school that I'm a part of is offering knowledge in a structural way because in the west it seems that we're really intrigued and fascinated and that it triggers us in a positive way and for me that has been very true so in our school we have weekly educational meetings like any course so to say but apart from that 
we are also given written material mm-hmm. every week. It could be four pages, it could be 16 pages, it could be 32 pages of written material describing a technique. Some of them is for a longer period, some is just for describing one week. And then you continue year after year after year. And if you are a teacher like me, mm-hmm. you, you have to be a student in order to be a teacher. You cannot quit being a student if you want to be a teacher because the f- foremost thing you can show as a teacher should be how to be a good student. And if you're not a student yourself, how can you be a teacher? And it's very beautiful that uh, turning. So I'm still having my classes. Now I have summer holiday from my studies yeah, as well, but yeah. we meet every, every Friday it's moved. Now it will be moved to Tuesday morning. Okay. Yeah. But we met. Every week since 96, a group of people, same class, same class. some have, of course, dropped out. Yeah. Others have uh, entered the class. But there's something really special about being a group of people. We are some 30 people mm. still that has this relationship that for two decades, we have dwelled into the mysteries of life together. And we have had our marriages. We have had our careers. We have moved through. We are... We are not 20 anymore, yeah. but we're still sitting there every week, discussing, trying out, learning together. Wow. And many of us now run schools around the globe. And still we connect through modern technology with the people who are still there in the classroom in Copenhagen every week. And this continuous transformation that is a, a necessity in order to really understand yoga, as I see it, is um, it's guaranteed by that continuous learning. And as yoga is somehow the essence and the teachings of life can always be nuanced and can always be new aspects to it. And also the genius teacher who is uh, writing these courses. It's one teacher. There is one main teacher internationally. And then there are uh, others who helped to put it together. But basically it's the same person who every week since, and he started 1991, has delivered a new course every week. 47 weeks out of 52 every year since 1991. And he has been under a lot of pressure, mm. under a lot of circumstances that would make it impossible to deliver such a thing, but continuously. And that is such a contribution. That is for all the miracles and marvels that he has created in the world, I find this to be one of the biggest, yes. this continuity. I mean, you know, I know. We feel, well, okay, I have a deadline, maybe I can push it to next week. Huh? But he never does it. Every Monday, because Monday they have their class, every Monday there's a new class. <laughs> Since night, I was born 91. So you know precisely how long it is. Wow. <laughs> and amazing. in time, you see, there's more than 10,000 pages of material. And I mean, who can write a book of 10,000 pages? You can't. But since yoga is, is um, really the science of life, mm. you will always find a new way to go deeper into it, deeper yeah. into it, deeper into it. I really like that about the, the, the teachings. It's mm. an, you're really exploring yeah. uh, life in, and all the different aspects of it. Mm. And another thing that I found myself saying uh, when I first entered a managerial position, the best way to learn is to teach. Yeah. And this is really embodying that mm-hmm. and putting it into system. And yeah. I can see how you really value that as yes, well. Indeed. And also here where we are like a monastery, also in the way that people can come and live here for shorter or longer periods. Some stay a week, some stay for years already. And one of the greatest gifts in that is also when they start to take responsibility. Like in the summer now, we had courses every summer in, in herbal medicine and do-it-yourself mm-hmm. techniques where they have learned much of this here during they stay here and now start to share that. And sharing that, of course, crystallizes the knowledge in them, but also gives so much growth to all of a sudden be the one who gives it further. Also, it develops this humble attitude because everything that, um, for me, it's so obvious that what, what, I, what I teach has very little to do with me. While when I was at the university or even in film school, it was so much, I associated it so much with me. 
I was the one who wanted to be, be a brilliant academician or the genius artist or whatever. I, me, you know, and my feeling, my this and that. And in time, it becomes so tiresome. And it's so great to know that all I taught you this weekend and the week, nothing of it comes from me. It, it has only relates to me in the way that I have got to know these things and happily share them. So it flows through you and hopefully can flow on. Yes, hopefully. And also, I mean, I like also, I, I as much as possible try to refer to scriptures where people can go and read themselves mm -hmm. and check because we must realize that we are, we're not at all alone in this. We are, it's a great tradition. The, even if we may be surrounded in an environment today where mm, there's a kind of hostility or, or disinterest to many of these questions, mm -hmm. we are in very good company in a historic perspective. Mm -hmm. For centuries, this was obviously the only questions of interest. <laughs> Who am I? What is God? Yeah. How do I make a purpose in life? How do I serve this creation? So we are in very good company. And I hope that uh, to provide, you know, the source back to the, or the, the path back to the source, mm. the, the fountain that uh, is available for all of us and all the people who have written these scriptures. It's also not theirs. They are They are just like you. You may be the one who writes the next scripture. Maybe this podcast will be that. Either side of the book, so to say, is the same aspiration. Now, either side of the teaching is the same aspiration and the same fruit. <laughs> Because like you say, the, the more you uh, manage to teach, the more you learn. So it's, uh, yeah. You lent me uh, the Marcus Aurelius yeah. book mm -hmm. and people been exploring this meaning of life for yeah. the longest. Yeah. What would you say in today's world is the biggest misconception uh, regarding yoga and spiritualism and all this learning? Well, I think that it's uh, the biggest misconception is that uh, yoga is religion and religion is dogma. Uh, and there's a very natural, um, precise source of that misconception, which was when the church, the hegemony of the church, were uh, suppressing the intellectual knowledge in the medieval times, which meant that the free spirit needed to break out of the imprisonment of religion. By necessity, it was a needed divorce by mismanagement. So there was a split um, during the 16th, 17th century that and where the knowledge uh, blossomed, flourished when it was free of religious dogma. And that freedom is still in us and it's a positive thing. And therefore we shy off from anything that seems like religion because we think it's stupidity because it has been we think it engages us yes, it hinders our, yes precisely yeah. therefore it's a very very understandable attitude towards religion but it's of course a, a complete misconception of what religion is the word religion comes from religiere in latin which means to reconnect and we all want to re connect okay i didn't know that no and and then as i see it any and you see this in certain yoga movements as well and, and today very much uh, that when a movement grows when it becomes more popular the questions asked ask for more, more precise answers like for example you you ask well how many minutes should i meditate then in order to reveal my heart and the teacher tries to says well it says long enough mm. in the scripture yeah, but how many minutes are long enough and you want that google you short that. Uh, answer yeah. yeah yeah then at the moment you say okay 32 minutes mm. great then people say you need to meditate 32 minutes and but someone else ah, someone else said 22 min minutes no no someone said three hours and then you have all this that brings dogma and stupidity mm. it's very difficult that part And that's also why here we do keep it quite small. Mm. We are not 
in this moment here interest in becoming very broad. Because being broad, being very big, calls for simplifications. Mm. And it's as long as we can be in the privileged position that those who are actually attracted to going in depth and being a free spirit, uh, wanting to cultivate, wanting to learn, are the ones who come. We're very happy for that. And coming back to this misconception, because today um, we may have read all these books that started coming in the 80s about Tao and physics and so on, and how uh, what is called religion and what is called science need to merge at mm. a certain time. So I would, from my personal experience, because these things are true, but also they're abstract in a way that doesn't mean much to many people. But for me in my personal life, I would say that faith and uh, the very concept, the experience of faith in life, it was really frees the intelligence, really makes the creativity free. When you don't need to struggle to fight for having your position in life, having created the purpose of your life, um, but actually realize deep inside you that you have a place already. You're already embedded in life. You don't need to struggle to be alive because you are. Mm. You're a child of God. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. That is what really brings forth intelligence. So actually the opposite of what, and in, in my life, the most intelligent, the most creative people I have met have all had a deep faith. And later on in my life, I worked in the European Parliament with uh, freedom of religious thought and conscience. And there I met a lot of people, representatives of different faith, religions. And it was very clear to see that there are two different types of people going, at least meeting them in the Parliament. One is the administrative, who could have been a, a good uh, company leader or, you know, and others are practitioners. And then it doesn't matter if they're Buddhist or, or Sikh or, or Jehovah's Witness. It doesn't matter. They have practiced their spiritual heart. And they have an experience of the more essential aspects of life, which brings forth a kind of a faithful intelligence that is so fruitful to be in and to be between and also a very free mind. They are never the ones who are dogmatic. Mm. They are never the ones who see that we need to fight for our rights apart from theirs, but rather let's, we need to grow together. Mm. We're in this together. Mm. We're in the game together. Everyone, each and everyone. So, so in direct opposition to the common uh, misconception that the part of religion cultivating the spirituality would make us narrow-minded, actually makes us open-minded. And that, that's my experience. But the other side is very easy to explain mm. historically. And just like, you know, any divorced child like me, my mother and father divorced, it's like a wound. My father passed away a few years ago. And still, even if he passed away, I have somewhere in me a longing for them to be together. Mm. Uh, I never speak about this, because who to speak with about such. But I think that many feel that. There, there was a natural connection that was broken somewhere. And I think that this uh, divorce between science and what we may call religion creates such a wound, wound inside us and a longing for a wholeness. And that's why we need to embrace spirituality from the same perspective as science. You know, uh, dogmatic spirituality is really bad for us. When you use faith in in science, yes. it's also very bad. And, well, this is how people always see, so we shouldn't try. We must be investigative yes. all the time. And then it really makes sense and really uh, becomes a marriage, a fruitful marriage. And from more and more, the more I go and understand during decades of study of spirituality, I revalue and find more and more greater respect for science mm. and the necessity of science. And I also have the feeling that even if I am then it's now many years since I was in the academic milieu, I understand, I understand it better. And, um, 
many of the things when being a teacher, for example, today, many want to justify their experiences through yoga with scientific research. And I find it so stupid because why on earth? It's like people don't trust their experience, but they read meditation is good for intelligence. But just try it, feel it. And because what does it matter if science can prove it or not? That's the problem of science. Mm. If science can't prove that it increases happiness and health and intelligence, good for science because we knew it already for a couple of millennia. If you can't, well, science has a problem because they can't prove what we have known for a couple of millennia. But when we put ourselves as the slaves of science, mm. saying, well, that was not proven yet. Therefore, it may not be true. That's just stupidity. And that's an unscientific perspective on you must, first of all, go from the empiric material, which is meditation makes you more open-minded and intelligent. Mm. If you disregard that because you can't prove it, you're highly unscientific in your approach to life. And like the, the esoteric yoga and tantric perspective on life has not solutions, but describes principles that can explain so many phenomena in the world that science cannot. And not taking it seriously, again, is highly unscientific. Yes, even if it's not lab reports done in that clinic situation, it's still experiences, there are still um, structures mm. cleared out explaining phenomena that makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of like science is catching on to uh, this teaching and the knowledge we've had for a thousand of years. Well, that is one part. That is one part. And that is great. But we can't wait for it. And it doesn't make sense to wait for it. What I would say is that yoga is already science. Mm. And yes, because we don't have white robes and some have orange robes, it doesn't make it less scientific because mm. science is to try something, experience it, and correlate the, the results with uh, the, the causal effects. Mm. And yoga is, is the science that I find explains in cause-effect so many more phenomena about that relates to my life than our Western psychology, for example, if that would be an alternative. Mm. Or, of course, the, the naturalist science. So I would say that uh, yoga and the esoteric yoga, the tantric yoga is already a science. And w what I wanted to point out is that in order for it to be successful, the problem is the dogmatic perspective. Either you are uh, uh, within the natural sciences or within yoga. If you have a dogmatic perspective, you won't go anywhere. We need ourselves to be on, in, the, in the parameter of the front research. We need to be there where we find the anomalies of our own uh, perspective on life and mm. say, well, I think this, but it doesn't really make sense. What do I find there? What do I find in, in my experiences, really, if I take my thoughts about it aside? Being open-minded. I think I'm coming at this from the science approach, because mm -hmm. that's the teaching I've chosen to, to um, partake in. But that doesn't, hasn't yet removed from the fact that I'm actually seeing a lot of correlation, like you said. And my yet limited knowledge within science is rather being proven by uh, the, the spiritual or yoga learnings. And I, I tend to keep learning from both and keep an open mind. And like, mm -hmm. it's really great what you've said here to not be, get too stuck in the dogma or be too disproven of what's not in the white lab coat or, yeah. yes. um, yeah. so this might be, um, uh, just proving my bias, but and I want to ask you, I experience uh, this teaching to be an individualistic journey that needs to be made. And I think that's what's grabbing me onto it because I, I see that as the solution, uh, uh, inner journey. Yes. I think that 
the path forward, either you regarding your own life or society in general, is that we need to show the responsibility of our life. We need each and every one to grow up and to realize that we don't need to be kids playing in the with the small toys. We're here actually to to become adults and um, living in a society where that is not highly promoted. We it seems to be an individual journey. That said, I experienced the utter opposite. The more I learn, the more collective I experience it. Mm. The more I I understand, the more I understand that I share this knowledge. The tradition is great. And, And what we do is opening more and more to a field of understanding that is the same to all of us. It the more we experience it as uh, differentiated, as different, someone says meditate for 28 minutes, and someone else for 32, just means that we are at a level where we need to define things in such a strict way or low uh, frequency perspective that it seems that we disagree. Just like you and me, we may want to say the same sentence, but we use different words. Well, as long as we are connected, we understand that, yeah, I, I get your point, I agree. If not, I say, well, why did you use that word instead of that word? And, you know, we individualize. Mm. So uh, I agree that the responsibility is solely on each and every one of us. But at the same time, the further we go on the journey, the more general human I experience it. Mm. And the more I know myself, I experience, the more I can identify and understand my brothers and sisters. The differences between us seem less and less essential and actually less and less a problem and more even conflict. What is seen as a conflict is many times such a resource mm-hmm. because it will trigger us to question things, hopefully, or at least it will bring us to to need to sooner or later revalue if what we're standing for is not correct. And then if we're able to communicate while questioning each other, we yes. can find answers. And Precisely, yes. And if we dare put the questions that are slightly more general, than where the conflict is at. Mm. That's always the the solution. And then we see that the so-called conflict is actually a motor, something propelling us to reach a higher higher level. Because many of many of the terms that we may tend to use, like individual, like elitism, like outside, brings us into a position of eccentricism where we are not in the center of our life anymore. And the more we are in the center of our life, the more we come to see the opposite, that positioning yourself as an elite is to position yourself outside of life, which is meaningless. Positioning yourself as an individual quest will actually alienate yourself from the surroundings that you love. And in that way, it's... um, the search for the centrism instead of the eccentrism, yeah. I think, is something that goes hand in hand with uh, any growth. Just like the great teacher, the great teachers that I have, I had privileged to have such good teachers, and I'm so happy for that. Yeah. And what they have shown me is always that they're just my older brothers who know a little more and to love to have me in their company on the path. It's not like yeah, show me you how much I know and you don't know anything and one day maybe you will understand half my book. Those were never good teachers. No. And um, and when you really have the knowledge, I remember, you know, also the first, my first years as wanting to be um artist. Me and my friends, artists, wannabes, we spent a lot of time discussing art and who was a good artist, who was a good poet, who was not, and so on. Instead of writing. Mm. 
and uh, judging, having opinions about things. <laughs> and, and the more you get to know something, you just love the attempt. And then you, if, you, if it doesn't resonate with you, just let it be. It's not important. Mm. We can appreciate. You can appreciate the, the, what is behind it, even if it was not expressed very well. And all this feeling that we're actually, we're in it together. Mm. So, um, so I wouldn't myself use the term individual other than in question of responsibility. Great. I'll take that with me. And, uh, you said you've been lucky to have, uh, great teachers. I would like to say, uh, I believe you're one as well, a really great teacher. I look very much forward to coming back here and seeing the, the, continuous development of the place and also to acquire more knowledge. Yeah, from you're heartfully welcome back. Thank you. I also look forward to see how it will look here yeah. next year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you told me just go with the flow and... Uh, now we no, built a ruin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Putting heavy stones on top of each other. <laughs> okay, so if you were to write a book that would be read by all young adults in the world, what would be the title and subtitle of this book? Yeah, I, I saw a question. It's funny because, you know, it's the 70th anniversary of universal human rights this year. It was written in the UN 1948. And my association has been invited to Geneva in the commemoration of the 70th. What's the name of your association? Soteria International. And what do you do? Well, we work for freedom of uh, thought, conscience, and religion. Yes. So the freedom for all of us to follow our heart. And that may well seem as something that has been solved a long time ago, but it's not. We still feel no people who are even put in prison, but especially who are ostracized, ostracizing themselves, being stigmatized in society, because simply they seem a little off. They seem a little weird. And often this is completely arbitrary, who is considered what in what society. Mm. And, um, yeah, we, the association was started in 2007. So we are also having our 10 year anniversary last year. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And, um, for this anniversary, we've been invited to present a book that is not yet finished. That is called, uh, having the work title, the guide for the citizen of the world. What would human rights be taken from a non-political perspective. Mm -hmm. What is actually guidelines for you, for me, for everyone to be in a fruitful, blossoming relationship with each other and with the world? So it's a perspective on human rights based on spiritual principles, on, um, because the esoteric tantric perspective is all the time on principles. We are just like the outer nature follows principle, the inner nature also follows principles. And when we live in times like ours where exhaustion symptom is the most common disease, yeah. where people cannot are depressed yeah. just by life. And it's still rising. It's rising. It's mm. an epidemic. And um, well, just like uh, what we also did in the European Parliament was lobbying for, we need to look at our inner ecology because in the 80s, when you were not yet born, mm. we, we, there was, we could see that the trees were not, they were dying, mm. you know, they, they lost their, their pines, the, the lakes got dead or overpopulated and died. And this to needing to take care of the nature was an acute question. It didn't matter if you were left or right, wanting more taxes, less taxes, we need to take care of the nature. And today, we have an election coming up and every political party in Sweden mm. have a program for the environmental care, right? Today, we stand in the position where we see that we collapse in our inner nature. Yes. We can't handle life anymore. And we must start to see that as an ecologic crisis. And just like in the outer ecologic crisis, it was needed to study what are then the, the principles. Well, if you put too much that will make it grow in the lakes. It mm. becomes too much algae. Then you need to become sour. Then you need to put chalk. In the same way, we need to understand. I'm not saying yoga is the answer for everything. I'm saying that in my life, I have experienced without a doubt, uh, after teaching yoga for 20 years, that people can enhance their life situation through understanding deeply some 
general principles about life and about relating to life. Because the United Nations is generally more visionary than the European Parliament and the EU project generally, I would say. They invited us to present this uh, book as a perspective on then, apart from the human rights or additional to human rights, what could we actually do having the human rights being the basis of what is a, mm, how do you say, a dignified life? Mm. What is a dignified life? And it's not a dignified life to be exhausted staying in front of Netflix eating mm. chips. It's mm. not mm. because we're dying from it. We're dying from that. And this is an amazing work. Could you give me the title again? Well, the working title is working. Guide for the Citizen of the World. Please let me know when you get this done. <laughs> Send me a copy. You will be presented. You come to Geneva. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get my, I, I, I received my invite yet. Of, well, you, you will have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so. really just go and, and come with us. You know, go there, go to the parliament, talk to the guys there. Mm. I was so impressed when starting to work in the European parliament that if you have the right ideas, mm. if you have, you know, viable, apl applicable solutions, mm -hmm. They will listen to you. I found myself sitting in meetings with Reading, but also the very top guys of the previous yeah, government, so to say, yeah. and discussing these questions because they long for good, viable, applicable uh, ideas, perspectives. So, I mean, never stay away. Mm. Just go there mm. and see if they have time. And actually, if you have If you have, through a few conversations, proven that, well, it makes sense what you say, they will hear you. Everyone longs for the truth. Everyone longs for the new solutions that many times are very ancient solutions, but put in a way that can be understood. So, come with us. So, moving on. In the past five years, uh, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Well, actually, it's, it's the last five years is my period time of, of uh, coming here. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And something that is a habit for me here is that because of the beauty of the place, I, I, it comes very natural um, to both begin the day and end the day with a very profound state of gratitude. So I, in the morning, I, I used to you see that room there. That's where I slept in the beginning. Oh, okay. And I had the bed positioned in such a way that I could see a tree, that tree over there. And I could see it during the seasons. And every morning when I woke up, I was waking up in order to do meditations later and so on. Mm. If there was light, I could see it and else I could see the darkness. And I felt this gratitude to, to be here. And that was in the beginning from, because it was a miracle, naturally, I didn't have money to mm. buy this place. Mm. There was no way I could take over this property and so on, but things worked out. So I was, I had a very uh, humble and, and hang, grateful start. So I started every day with just, and then I was also coming directly from Brussels, having worked there. I was still working there, coming here in the beginning, just three days a week, learning how to work with a motor saw, taking down trees yeah. around was winter and I was so grateful every day that I could wake up here in the house. And that kind of continued mm. during the years. And also uh, in the end of the day, I, this with a few years later, when we became more that lived here, mm. we put this rule that we have silence. Mm. So everyone is silent, no communication, also no internet, telephones and so on. And that opened up the magic of the evenings mm. for study and practice, meditation, which leads naturally for me to end the day again in a deep, grateful state mm. and only in what I experience as a communication directly with God. So I let myself into the embrace of the divine every night. Wow. I have to find a way of uh, doing that at home, w waking up grateful and going to bed grateful. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, and this view, waking up to this. Well, it, it was something that instrumented that in me. And um, because I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I may be very materialistic in my perception, but that triggered me. And uh, I'm sure everyone can find it uh, within their own premises.
We made it just be before silent time. Uh, thank you for participating. Uh, this was my first proper conversation after 48 hours of silence, and it was a great conversation. Thank you, Conrad. Thank you, Nasati. Thank you. So now, meditation on silence. Yes, as you know. Yeah.